Why is it we humans get romanced by complexity when the answers can be found at a simple and practical level? This is the Simply Practically Human podcast, where the human manager, Mark Labasque, features experts who have a track record in humanizing workplaces, using simplicity and practicality as their go-to approach. It's all about getting back to what it is to be human and watch workplaces thrive rather than just survive. Hey there, it's Mark Labusque for the Simply Practically Human podcast. And today I'm joined by Thea O'Connor, who is the founder at NAP Now and also a workplace wellbeing advisor. And Thea is going to share her thoughts today on something I'd not heard of until I spoke with her a few weeks back, which is BQ or body intelligence. And we are also, I guess, caught up in the idea about IQ. And we hear a bit about EQ, but today you're going to hear a lot about the importance of BQ and this whole idea. It's your ability to notice and listen and to respond to your body's needs. And I know often we hear people say to us, just listen to your body. You know, you might have been feeling a bit tired and it's halfway through the day and someone says, well, have a nap. And you're like, well, no, it's not nap time. Or whether you have those hunger pains and or you're feeling thirsty. And, and today, Thea's going to share why we need to exercise more body intelligence, not just outside of work, but in the workplace. And then, you know, as we do on this podcast, she'll share three, which were incredibly simple and practical tools and tips for how you can start to practice this body intelligence or this BQ a lot more than what you are today. Scary, scary stats today on what happens when we don't practice BQ. And I'm just going to share a couple with you is that 40% of us aren't getting enough sleep, even though we're tired. And this one that was horrified me, and I think I I suffer from this a bit myself, only 4% of us are eating the required amount of fruit and vegetables that we should be. So this might be a bit scary today as you listen to this, and you might be um, looking back into your own mirror and thinking, wow, I've got a lot of work to do. But as Thea says, small steps, experiment, and I think you'll learn a lot today. So sit back, get a pen and paper, take some notes down, and enjoy the episode. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Workplace Wellbeing Advisor and the founder of NAP Now, Thea O'Connor. Thea, thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure, Mark. Look forward to talking. Fantastic. Hey, um, the power of connection. I know we have some people who we both do work with who said that we should get together and, and have a chat. So it's finally happened. And today, Something I had never heard of before, but I'm a bit fascinated by now, is this idea of body intelligence. So we're going to talk about that a bit today. But before we get there, could you just share with us a little bit about your backstory and your background, sort of the human side of fear, if you wouldn't mind? Yeah, sure. So I'm I'm the youngest of four girls. I grew up in regional South Australia. Uh, My family's always been in education, so I had parents as teachers. And from an early age, I can always remember I really enjoyed being in my body. I was a pretty active girl. I, was, I loved sport. I loved healthy eating. So the, I think there was something innate there from the beginning that really enjoyed and appreciated the body. But what I also think I learned early on was how I could use the body, e.g. being good at sport, to get recognition and appreciation, particularly for my, my father, I'm thinking there. So on the one hand, I loved my body, but I also learned pretty early on how to drive it for the sake of performance, more so 
than being in tune with my body and responding, you know, to its natural signal. So look, I love being in my body. And it was probably when it started going a bit wrong that that prompted me to learn more deeply about this idea of body intelligence. So for example, when I was starting to be a dietitian, ironically, I developed disordered eating. Right. And I found that my um, study wasn't helping me control it. You know, I didn't need more information about food. I can tell you that. And it was only through doing some great work with a psychologist that I was able to learn to distinguish what I thought was a body urge, i.e. eat more food, distinguish that from other emotional needs that were sitting you know, underneath it. So there I had to learn, I guess, uh, some of the more sophisticated elements of body intelligence. How do you tell if this is a true body urge or not? Then when I did have my first job working as a dietitian at the Royal Melbourne Hospital, then I also noticed that my monthly period stopped. And when I got that checked out, I did have some cysts on my ovaries. And I was kind of on the brink of being diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. And there also, you know, with some help of some other therapists, I was able to explore that symptom more deeply. And basically what was happening in my new job, I was trying to prove myself. So I'd you know, you push yourself. You'd, I was driving myself and I was really overriding my natural rhythm. And so, of course, the natural rhythm of my periods was stopping. And anyway, that just allowed me to explore my body symptoms more deeply and my body responded. You know, periods came back and I never had a, a problem with it since. So I guess through that experience, I really got to see the power of listening to my body at a deeper level and how willing the body is to respond when we do. So they're just a few experiences that really got me interested in the way our body talks to us. I love it. Thanks for sharing that. Um, you said regional South Australia. Whereabouts in, in regional South Australia did you, did you grow up? I really did what they call the Iron Triangle. So I was actually born in Peterborough, which is in the mid-north. Yep. I did kindergarten and grade one at Port Lincoln. I did primary school at Wyala. Lots of red dirt there. I yeah. you've been there. I did my high school at Port Perry where all the lead smelters are, but I don't seem to have suffered too much from any lead poisoning there. <laughs> and uh, then I went to Adelaide to go to uni. Oh, lovely. So that was been moving around as teachers in the family, obviously moving around a lot by the sound of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I got to do all my high school in one school. So, you know, I'm my older sisters complain about how disrupted they were. Okay, so let's get into this idea. You're talking before about listening to your body. And, you know, that's a phrase that I hear a lot of. People say, are you listening to your body? Mm. What does that mean, that whole idea of listening to your body? Yeah, so it's literally being able to notice the internal sensations of your body. So that could be anything from hunger to maybe pain, the rate of your breathing, your heart rate. And interestingly, you know, scientists do have a name for this. They call it our interoceptive awareness. So that's your ability to notice what's happening inside. And you might think, well, don't we all notice what's happening inside our bodies? But there's actually quite a range. Some people are really highly attuned. Others have developed an ability to disconnect from the body altogether. And that might be due to trauma or it could be due just to everyday situations, like working intensely on your computer. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've noticed, you know, when you really get in into that bit of a real focused tunnel, you can actually disconnect from your body and not even notice that you've got a crick in your neck or that actually you needed to change posture a long while ago. So simply noticing what's happening to your body, interoceptive awareness, the next level which you're talking about is listening to your body. That's kind of not just noticing, but then actually trying to make an effort to understand what your body is saying to you. 
So it's just giving yourself that little moment to drop out of your head into your body and ask, hmm, how does that extra cake feel for my stomach? Or how did that alcohol feel in my liver? Or how are my muscles actually feeling right now? And when you give yourself that moment to actually try to sense what your body is feeling, it's amazing how different that is to what your head might be telling you. Your head will be going, yes, I want another glass of wine. But your body's going, oh, I think I've had enough. Uh, that's interesting. So this sounds a bit like we're starting to get into that topic of body intelligence here, the ability to notice, listen, and respond to the body's needs. I've heard you speak also about the relationship between IQ or EQ with, with this. Is there any connection between that intelligence that we crave, that sort of IQ, and the BQ? Are the smarter people better at the body intelligence stuff? Yeah, well, I've come to firmly believe that actually body intelligence is the foundation of a lot of those other intelligences that we want, IQ and EQ. So just in a really basic example, if we're not good at responding to our body's tiredness signals and we end up sleep deprived, then that is going to affect our intellectual prowess. There's so much research now that you know we know how much sleep deprivation interferes with learning, memory, we're more likely to make mistakes. That's just one really simple example. People who are researching the area of interoceptive awareness are also finding that if you've got a higher IA, that's that interoceptive awareness, generally speaking, the better your emotional intelligence. And you might think, well, how does that work? Well, if you think about it, all emotions are accompanied by a sensation in the body. You know, if you feel scared, you'll feel your heart race or butterflies in your stomach. So the better you are at noticing the butterflies in your stomach, the better your emotional awareness. And that's, you know, the foundation of emotional intelligence to actually know what you're feeling. Yeah. So there definitely are finding links between your ability to notice what's happening things like emotional intelligence, but even decision-making, some of the um, research has shown. I was watching one of your talks recently, Thea, and um, pretty disturbing stats that you shared around human beings getting enough sleep, getting enough exercise or activity, or actually eating enough of the coloured vegetables. Where does this come into the whole idea of BQ and, and the IQ things? Is there anything around that that you could share with us? Yeah, so I mean, I think most people are familiar with the stats. It's things like, you know, only 4% of us eat enough vegetables each day. And that's something we've been told probably for about 30 years now, or only a third of us are moving for that 30 minutes a day. So you've got to ask in a really well-educated country where we've got great healthcare, how is this happening? How are smart people still doing really dumb things when it comes to their bodies? And how come education isn't making the difference that it should be? And I honestly think it's because we know that knowledge isn't enough to change behavior. And our traditional sense of IQ actually doesn't help us live in a way that's responsive to our bodies. And I really do think that body intelligence, it is a forgotten intelligence. It's missing in our repertoire of health skills that we're teaching people. Because what body intelligence involves is not just the knowledge about health it's then actually responding in an intelligent way. So it's sleeping when you're tired instead of eating when you're tired. For example, it's dealing with stress in a healthy way rather than having another you know, glass of alcohol. And then and what about, let's throw on top of that, which is sort of one of the reasons why I do these podcasts to help people who may be struggling because there's this thing we call work, which seems to take up a lot of our thought processes in, in, in what, what we're thinking about all the time, you know, getting through work and getting that report done and working those long hours. 
Talk a little bit about how that starts to come in. The way that we frame work up is important. How much is that impacting upon us listening to our bodies and perhaps ignoring what's going on in our bodies? Yeah, it's a massive influence because most work cultures, as you would know today, they're pretty fast-paced and people are often running on a lot of stress. And those two very things, speed and stress, actually interfere with interoception. There's this a really fascinating area of research that does show that stress takes our attention outside of ourselves. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because we need to deal with the threat, whatever we think that might be. Yep. Meanwhile, we're not noticing what's happening in our bodies. So that's okay short term, you know, to scan the environment, see what's dangerous. But when that becomes a long-term plan, we end up disconnected from our bodies. And you see so many people who will only listen to their bodies once the crisis hits. And then also when we're working really fast, that also serves to disconnect us. I remember one somatic therapist describing that speed is associated with forgetting, whereas slowing okay. down helps us remember. So you think about it if you're rushing out the door, you can't remember where your car keys are. When you're trying to remember, people often slow down, don't they? They walk more slowly. Oh, where did I put it? Yep. So, and I think in the workplace, that high level of speed is another factor that's disconnecting us from our body. So, yeah, work cultures have a huge impact for sure, but work cultures also represent an opportunity to just shift the norms a little bit to help bring people back to their bodies. And, you know, thankfully, there's now some great science on the uh, benefits of short recovery breaks. And I use that a lot to help legitimise this idea of creating those little strategic pauses to help people come back to their bodies because they will work better and it will protect their health. So just on that, obviously with the work you do, you get to work with lots of organisations. The ones that are starting to make the progress in this space about the sort of things you just talked about then, what sort of benefits are coming to organisations that are really starting to embrace the need to have those breaks or listen to your body more but, or slow down? What's, what are you observing there? You know, I think the first thing is that when we do talk about being able to work more in tune with your bodies and therefore, e.g., have some more recovery breaks, people just feel relieved that they are being treated according to their true nature, that they're being treated like a human being because the human body is designed on rhythms and cycles, ebb and flow. So there's this relief. People don't feel so demoralised. That's a huge impact in and of itself. And people do say that they can definitely, you know, it doesn't turn their world upside down. They would have recovery breaks, but they feel that they've been given the autonomy to manage their own energy better and that those small changes do really make a difference. You need to practice it over time for sure, but it just takes the edge of that exhaustion or that sense that people are being pushed like a machine. Yeah, look, I love that. The word that comes to mind for me when you, as you're talking there, Thea, is permission, just giving human beings permission to slow down and to become aware of, I guess, not so much what they're thinking all the time, but how they're feeling in a moment in time. And I, I'm seeing some great examples of, of that happening in a couple of organisations I'm working with that have always been fast paced, but they're giving people permission. And it makes a big difference because as people start to feel they've got permission, I think they also feel a little bit more valued. And then that starts to kick into some other things, I think, like increased engagement, discretionary effort, and just that simplicity of giving people the chance to have those little breaks, as you said, makes a huge difference. Three simple and practical tips or even tools that you've got that you can share with us would be fantastic. The whole idea of this podcast is to give 
the listeners some simple things they can do when sometimes we just think that there's so much going on and we're stressed and we're outside of our body that we can't do these things. Mm. What would three things be that people could start to try from today that would make them become more body intelligent, do you think? Okay, so starting super simple as you love. So the first thing would be just to invite people to notice when are you not connected to your body? What are your high risk times? So for some people that might be, you know, when they are on a tight deadline, for example, but just to note, what is your high risk time? When are you least likely to notice what's happening in your body? And then see if you could catch yourself out. You know, can you catch yourself when you're in that high risk time? To help you do that, you might need some kind of little cue, you know, whether that's a timer or even a colleague to text you, you know, how's your body now? So notice when you're not there, try and catch yourself out. Then secondly, you might like to notice which symptom, which little message from your body do you tend to ignore the most? Is it the small crick in your neck that takes you hours to notice before you change posture? Is it hunger? Do you delay responding to that so much that when you get home you're starving and you end up, you know, being a pantry man and can't get out of the fridge? Or is it thirst that you tend to ignore the most? Just choose one and then just make it a practice. Can I respond sooner rather than later? And the key here is we have a tendency to dismiss the small signals as insignificant or even a bit weak if we respond to them. But they're the ones to grab because you have to remember every case of burnout started as a little bit of tiredness. Every case of RSI starts as a little bit of strain. So that's the second one. Practice responding sooner rather than later, just to one symptom. And I've got a list that I'll, you know, give you the link to just 10 ways to listen to your body. And then thirdly, I would really encourage, and this is really fun, this one, look for opportunities to act from what your body is telling you rather than what our culture tells us or even your health experts or doctors. If you feel meal hungry at 11 o'clock, well, have your lunch then rather than say, oh, it's not lunchtime. Or maybe if you feel depleted on the first day of your menstrual period, well, can you you know, practice taking it gently? Or if you don't feel like doing a certain type of exercise in a day rather than judge yourself as being weak or pathetic, We'll try that alternative form of exercise. So this is the bit that's missing in our culture at the moment, you know, the ability to trust what our body is telling us. So they're the three practices that I would suggest people have a bit of a play with. Again, so very simple and practical. Just on that third one, that cultural piece, if we could just expand on that a little bit, like, you know, you should have this for breakfast and you should have it at this time and and, and lunch has got to be this and then, you know, you should be sitting down to a hearty dinner because that's what we've always done. How hard is it to break out of that sort of cultural norm, do you think, for people? It can be really hard. It can be very hard, particularly, for example, my background as a dietitian. I did a lot of work, you know, including with myself but with clients around food and eating. So many women today that also say, I do not know what to eat anymore because I've been told so many different things. So we have to bring it right back to saying, okay, when you notice the urge to eat, go through the five senses. Do you want something hot or cold? Do you want something crunchy or smooth? Think about the different colours. Do you prefer savoury or sweet? And it's a huge retraining for many people. But for some, it is more that permission to let go of the rules and actually trust what your body is telling you. Yes, all the science might say coffee is fine, but your body is telling you it's making you more anxious. Even one cup, you can feel that, can't you? Yes, we'll trust that and go with that. Yeah. For some people, it's just permission to free themselves of the rules. 
Yep. And then the other thing is around sort of these cultural norms in the workplace. One thing that I used to practice a bit myself and I see others do is sitting at your desk and eating lunch mm. <laughs> and, and just working through. Is this sort of aligned to something like step two around that idea of, you know, not ignoring what your body's saying and stepping away? Or, or what, what, what advice would you give to people who seem to be caught at their desks or even caught at their home office now doing work and sort of eating lunch at the same time? What, what should they do? I guess number one is just to notice the effects. So yes, okay, if you're eating your lunch at your desk, can you just factor in two minutes at the end of that to notice how does that feel in your stomach right now? As you know, when you eat fast and sitting down, it often doesn't feel so good. Or we might like to notice an hour later. So step number one is what are the effects of my current choices? Then if there is an opening, say, hmm, you know, maybe it could be better. I love framing things as experiments rather than rules. So just say, well, how about you just experiment just one day a week, step outside and see if you can give yourself 15 minutes to eat and then you come back and tell me what did you notice. So notice and then experiment and let your body inform you what was the best choice for you just to try and get away from me telling people what to do. <laughs> I love it, Thea. I love the idea of experiments. I think this is something that has come up in this podcast quite a lot from people who saying just experiment with something, try something. Don't try and change from how it was to 100% different in one day, which is something that we tend to do in that fad-based I saw something on social media that said if I did this and I drank this thing, I'd lose four and a half kilos in a week. And we, we tend to go from one extreme to the other, which is crazy, which leads me into our next piece around this idea of simplicity and complexity. And I have a, I have a, a great challenge to understand why is it that we humans seem to go for the next big thing, the complex thing, when the things that you've shared with us already today are really, really simple. And maybe they're just too simple for people to think that they're going to get recognised for them. Well, what's your thoughts on why human beings seem to be romanced by complexity when if they sort of step back a bit and looked back in, a lot of the answers are very, very simple. Look, this is such an intriguing question for me as well, Mark. I don't actually have answers to this. And I've been intrigued by this line that we seem to have accepted that life is becoming more complex and if we look to the future speed and complexity are going to increase and I too have been looking for evidences is the world really becoming more complex or is it just that we're moving faster we're more tired and therefore our brain is struggling you know to think well or see clearly or is it because that in the speed we're actually taking less time to stop and connect inside where we do get more insights on, you know, how to steer through this situation. The only one possibility that I could offer to this from a body intelligence perspective is that if we keep things simple and go right back to our body and ask what it's feeling, we might not like what it's got to say. It can actually be really confronting. Mm. Whereas if we keep it more complex, what do the studies say? What do the science say? We actually can avoid what my body is feeling right now. And some people do not like to feel that underneath the coffee that they're exhausted. We don't like to feel that underneath perhaps our tight chest in the morning we might be feeling a bit sad. That's not comfortable stuff. That's an inconvenient truth that I think we often want to avoid. So that's the only possibility I can offer, Mark. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on it too. Yeah, look, this is the first time I've heard someone talk about avoidance, which I, I really like that because... 
I have a, a colleague who once talked to me about how humans practice the skillful art of work avoidance, mm. and that's to be able to avoid doing the things that maybe make them f- look into their mirror a little bit and, and have to feel a bit of discomfort so they're happier to go to other things. So, yeah, that's intriguing. For me, my thought process is it comes down to, you know, you were talking earlier today about how you use sport as something to to show that you could do something and you were good at something. And I think what I've observed in my work in the last six years, but in my 20 odd years in corporate is that it was usually because someone was trying to stand out, come up with a new phrase, come up with a new way of doing things, come up with a better way of doing something or or use really, really big words. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden everyone's like, geez, look, isn't Thea really smart? Hey, look at how Mark came up with this thing where you know, there's something in this for our hard wine. We like to be recognised. We like to be part of the hierarchy, particularly pushing up in the hierarchy. And status is really important to us. So mm-hmm. why just go simple when I don't feel like I'm going to get maybe as much recognition as I might if I can come up with the next atom-splitting moment in, you know, in my workplace? So I think that's something that, that sits with me. And I often say to my clients is that the answers that we're looking for are usually already there. It's just that we don't feel like we're making maybe intellectual progress if we're not coming up with something. And, you know, you know, you talked before about uh, uncertainty and, and the quick pace of the world and, you know, that term VUCA. Yeah. As soon as people start to say VUCA, it's almost like we've got to move away from the simplicity of slowing down and move into the complexity of getting to the point of just trying to you know, sit down for an hour or two hours and come up with the next big thing. And I, it, it worries me that human beings do that. But I love that idea of avoidance. So I hadn't heard that before, but I'm sure people, you know, like you said, if you're a bit tight in the chest, but you don't, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that when I'm not busy. I'll get to that when I've got a bit of time, but you just let it go because maybe you're going to find out some things that, that you don't want to face into. I really like that. So one little warning from me on that, Mark, I'm making, you know, listening to your body and responding sounding really easy. It's not. It can be really uncomfortable. And be aware that when you do stop and listen to your body, that, yeah, you might not like what you encounter and that things might get worse before they get better. And I see this particularly in the case of exhaustion and tiredness and napping, actually. I've had some people really angry at me (laughs) for suggesting napping because when they do, they actually feel how exhausted they are and then they feel the need to nap more. And then they say, oh, is napping addictive? And it's like, no, it's not addictive. You've just got a massive backlog of exhaustion that you're only just, you know, touching the surface of now. Yeah. So just be aware that when you get really honest with your body, big congratulations, but you might have a bit of a backlog to attend to. <laughs> a bit of a to-do list there to, to sort out. Hey, um, yeah. let's finish up on, you know, you talked before about there's this sort of test that you've created now and you'd love people to, to access that. So there's the test. Plus, where else can we find more out about the amazing work you're doing? So my website's a good place to start, thea.com.au. And that's where I've also got a list of references related to body intelligence. Again, I will provide you the direct link for people who like to read up on on the science. There's also a 10 ways to listen to your body tip sheet. And I've also got a body scan, just seated five minute body scan that people can listen to. I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm not good on any other social media other than LinkedIn. So I would love any interested listeners to connect there. I love it. Hey, listen, thanks for joining me. Just maybe one more thing just quickly. You know, in these last three or four months where the world's been turned on its head, which means 
we're all feeling it in some way. This is interesting in my 50 odd years on this planet. It's the first time I've come across something that seems to be some sort of change that's going on or that's affecting everybody. Is there anything that you would, any advice you'd give to people just right in these times around why it's so important to be just slowing down and checking in with yourself? Yeah, so I think we just need to be really alert to the emotional contagion that's probably happening around the world at the moment. And when we allow our bodies to go into survival mode, which many of us are in, whether it's due to the real threat or you know possible threat, then our behaviour deteriorates, we get reactive, we start shouting at people who aren't wearing masks, we become more divided, and that's not going to help us get through. And also, you know, when we're in survival mode, that's exhausting for our bodies. So just the really simple things I've spoken about today, about stopping, noticing when you're in survival mode, you can feel it in your nervous system, and then doing something really simple, responding intelligently to help bring those cortisol levels down so we can behave more like decent human beings. That is so important at the moment because I'm just seeing the seeds of separation are really being sown, aren't they? All the divisions that are coming up between Victorians, non-Victorians, yep. people who've got jobs, people who haven't, and we need to calm ourselves down so we can behave well and get through this as best we can. And it's interesting, you know, how you're just talking about the divisions and, you know, there's that sort of saying at the moment that we're all in this together and it's starting to fracture somewhat at the moment. And I think part of it is is that survival mechanism that we're, we're kicking into. Hey, Thea, thanks again for joining the Simply Practically Human podcast. I think you've shared some amazing tools and tips and uh, hopefully we can become more body intelligent. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, Mark. Hey there, it's Mark here again. You know, one of the things that really fascinated me with Thea is that combination of the practicality and sort of the life experiences that she's had herself and also combining that with the science, you know, sharing the ideas around things like interceptive awareness or IA and how IA impacts on, you know, your IQ as well, but also your BQ and, you know, sharing some stories from her time, as she said, at the Royal Children's Hospital where, you know, she was suffering from some physical conditions and she said she stopped having a period and and then she just became aware of what was going on and uh, that allowed her by practising BQ to start to get that regular cycle going again. Just interesting things to hear. You know, great tips today. This whole idea of, you know, this body tell versus cultural tell and, you know, something that I'm sure many of us struggle with is this idea of if I'm hungry, uh, why don't I eat at 11 o'clock rather than wait till lunchtime, which is no, not before 12 o'clock? You know, what should I eat at certain times? When I'm getting thirsty, do I just hold off and leave it till later? And one thing that I'm severely afflicted by is she called it pantry man. That whole idea that you've been starving yourself all day, you get home and you just hoover down whatever you can out of the pantry. So some great tools and tips there. Also, just at the end, she shared a bit about the times we're in today in COVID-19 and how it's particularly important now to start to really feel into our bodies and to increase that body intelligence. Hey, if you like this episode, why not rate it five stars? And if you loved it, share it with your friends. Until next time, keep it simple, keep it practical and keep it human. Bye for now.